Nick Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Next, we want to dust off the old records. Hall of Famers, Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks headed to Chase Field. One night, one stage, December 8th. Tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m., but if you want to try to win a pair of tickets, just hit the contest page over at KTAR.com. Man, I love Billy Joel. I love them both. I, it's, I, I couldn't imagine that being a show that fits together, but it seems perfect. I, I, who would you want to see? Who would you want to see more? If you had to shorten one to lengthen the other, and it, it, it's got to be a dead tie. Two different styles, but amazing. Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks on the same stage. I hope they, you think they'll do a song together. That would be very cool if they did some stuff together. Um, all right, let's let's dive into this. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've talked about this once before this morning. Gatos and I talked about it. We do a thing every morning called the Big Q Poll Question where he writes a question for people. His is on this topic. Was it the right decision? There is a difference uh, with the courts when courts work the way they're supposed to, especially the Supreme Court. And uh, I think the Arizona Supreme Court has shown that they do because I don't always agree with with them in, in what they're in in um, the decision they make, which I think probably means that they are doing the right thing. And I mean that seriously uh, because they're supposed to just adhere to the Constitution. It isn't about opinion. Here's the opinion part of this, and I think that it's a valid one, is that it's about the death penalty. Our governor, Katie Hobbs, is not required to enforce a death warrant. That's what the court said. Now, the right and wrong opinion part of this is this is a guy that admitted to a heinous crime. He is asked to be executed multiple times, even gone as far as asking to be transferred to Texas where they would enforce the death penalty, which is never going to happen. So when it comes to is it right or wrong morally, this is terrible. I mean, let him go through with it. But is this the right decision legally? And I'm not a legal mind. I'm not a lawyer. Um, Barry Markson was uh, is our legal analyst here at KTAR News, and uh, he was asked by Arizona's Morning News, um, "Who has this authority?" Actually, carrying out an execution uh, is done by the executive branch. And if the executive branch determines that we're not doing that right now, that is within the authority of the governor. So how do we have a reasonable discussion? Because it's it's so interesting. Politics is passion anyway. We understand people are way too politically motivated. And you go to Twitter and start mentioning something political and watch the extreme positions, the extreme language and emotions that come flying at you no matter what the topic is. That is not indicative of most people. But – as a society, how do we – we need to have a real conversation about this. I, I am somebody that um, – I am not necessarily a proponent of the death penalty, although I'm not against it. I don't like the way we do it. I think it takes far too long. I, I think that this is a problem with our justice system, and maybe it's necessary. I would love to be able to talk with lawyers, maybe not on the air, but per, about personal opinion, and that is – Maybe it's necessary in our justice system that we end up making the perpetrators the victims, so to speak. You know, when they are fighting for their lives, they are on trial literally for their lives. Their lives are picked apart by their defense attorneys. I had a, I had a lawyer tell me this. It was such a great insight. Um, when I was going through a divorce, um, my family court lawyer said to me, there is a difference between criminal court and family court. In the criminal court, you have bad people on their best behavior. In the family court, you generally have good people 
on their worst behavior. And I thought, what great insight that is. You, you, you dress somebody up in a suit. You have them in court. Yes, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. On their absolute best behavior. But inside those manila, manila envelopes are their history of behavior on the streets of our cities that conflicts directly with how they're behaving in that courtroom. They're putting their best foot forward trying to save their lives. Maybe that's necessary to make sure we have a fair justice system. I don't know. All I know is that when you see people committing violent crimes, generally speaking, they are doing it multiple times by the time they see prison. Uh, It was the D.C. police chief that said we need to keep these gunmen behind bars, that the average person that's been accused of homicide has been arrested 11 times before they commit that crime. That is a staggering statistic. But in my world, in the fair world that I would be in charge of, the victims would always be. But see, here's the problem with that. If you have a heinous crime, let's go with the worst of the worst. A a child is murdered. Um, And so what you show from day one of the trial is this horribly – Um, horrible way that this child is killed, pictures of the murder scene and all of that stuff. And now you've got a jury that wants revenge. You now are looking at pictures that you will never forget of a dead child. And then somebody sits there in a chair and someone says, that's the person that did it. Are you more likely to convict because someone has to pay for this crime? That's what everybody asks. But in the end, what ends up happening, especially in cases like this, this is where the problem with our system lies, because a lot of times there is that gray area. But we have to acknowledge when there is clear black and white. This guy admitted to the crime. He's asked to be executed. What are we waiting for if we're going to use the death penalty, if it is part of our legal system? He admitted to the crime. He asked for the sentence to be carried out. And yet, in spite of that, the victim's family continues week in, week out, year in, year out. Every time there's a new petition, every time there's a new hearing, they continue to have the wounds reopen. That doesn't seem right to me. That, you know, if you've got, when you have a case, um, now the the um, uh, was it Jared Loeffner down in Tucson who who shot um, Congressman Giffords and also murdered that judge and that murdered that little girl and other people. Um, he was found to be mentally incompetent. But let's go with a case like that for a moment, saying that this was someone that was found to be competent to stand trial. Uh, it was obvious he was the shooter. They tackled him and took the gun from his hand. There were a hundred witnesses. This guy did it. There's no doubt he did it. In that instance, why does it take 20 years? Once the death penalty has been attached, why does it take 20 years? Why do the families of the victims have to wait 20 years for that sentence? This is a bigger question to me than anything else we've talked about on this topic. It makes no sense to me. None. And... It's frustrating because I don't know anything about this guy, Gunches, nothing about him other than reading about his crime. But all I can think about are the families of the victim. And that's what we should be thinking about. 
And I would say that if, if I were governor of this state, I wouldn't be fighting for or against the death penalty, but I would be fighting to make sure that justice was carried out the right way. If the citizens of Arizona feel that someone has done something so heinous that a life was taken and yours life will be taken from you, then we should be enforcing it in more of a timely fashion for everybody involved. Um, we're going to jump to the other Supreme Court case. The Arizona Supreme Court rejected six out of seven of Carrie Lake's election claims. But what about the one that they said a lower court has to hear? I'll tell you what it is coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, this would be a cool thing to do. Our legendary voice of the Phoenix Suns, Al McCoy, has announced his retirement, and we want to hear from all of you. Text Al, A-L, just text Al to 620-620 and submit a video thank you to Al message. It's a cool way to say thank you to a legend in the broadcasting business. We may even play yours on the air. Just text Al to 620-620. The Arizona Supreme Court rejects most of Kerry Lake's election challenges. Kerry Lake is calling this a major victory as the Supreme Court in Arizona is is ordering a lower court to listen to and to contemplate part of her allegations when it comes to election, the election in 2022 in Maricopa County. The question that was raised or has been raised by the by the late campaign is one that says that they are not appropriately curing signatures or verifying signatures for um, early ballots. That when you cast an early ballot, for those of you that don't vote early, um, what you must do is when you fill out your ballot and you put your ballot inside the envelope to be returned by mail, you're supposed to sign. There is a there's a line for you to sign on the outside of that envelope, and they are so what they do is before they separate the envelope from the ballot, and this is where there are problems with this, is uh, they look at the envelope and they match that signature to the signature on file. They're not looking at the ballot. They're looking at the signature on the outside of the envelope, and they're matching that signature to what they have on file. If it matches, then the envelope is saved. It's kept, but it, or a picture is taken of it. But I don't know which it is, but they, it is preserved, but they separate the ballot so the ballot then is counted. You are then notified that your ballot has been counted. If there is a question of whether or not it's a valid signature, if it doesn't closely enough match what's on file, they cure that ballot by reaching out to the voter within a, I think a couple of days and uh, giving that voter an opportunity to verify it was them that cast the ballot. That's how it's supposed to work. And the late campaign said that they come up with thousands of ballots that were not verified properly, that they are not using proper procedures in Maricopa County to validate and verify those signatures. And a judge said, based on that only, that alone, that this, that case, that part of it, uh, at least parts of that argument are going to be heard by a by one of the superior court judges. Uh, the other six parts of it were, were tossed out, including that 35,000 votes were added and some other things. Um, is this a victory for anyone? Because the what's interesting, the county recorder, Stephen Richer, 
who has been fighting this since he took office in 2022, he beat a Democrat. He is a Republican. Stephen Richer is a Republican. And he beat a Democrat, Adrian Fontes, who is now the Secretary of State and oversees all elections in Arizona. Um, he, he beat him in that race and took over the office after this election happened in 2020. But in 2022, he oversaw the 2022 election and has been fighting this ever since. And here's his quote about this. He said, I, of course, have the utmost respect for both the people sitting on the court and the court as an institution and will proceed to win again for about the 30th time. So um, the problem, I have a couple of issues with this whole thing, and it's because as long as this has gone on, it's not going to change anything. No matter what happens, it's not going to change anything, including people's minds, and that's where the issue lies. There have been multiple courts that have ruled on this, and they have not ruled in favor of the challengers in any of these cases. And so you have to believe that from the beginning in 2022, uh, Stephen Richer was corrupt. The county board of supervisors are corrupt. The sheriff is corrupt. The county attorney's office is corrupt. And then multiple judges who sided with them are corrupt to believe that the elections are corrupted. I'm not saying it's true or it's false, but that's what you must believe. And there are many people that do. So there is no way. There is no way. That the people that in spite of everything that's happened with the legal challenges that still believe that the election is stolen. And these are good people. I know people that believe the election is stolen. I don't agree with them on the issue, but these are reasonable people that are good. They're not tinfoil hats screaming at the walls, looking up at the sky and shaking their fist kind of people. These are reasonable people that have a firm belief the election was stolen. There is no way. If it is decided that Carrie Lake is unsuccessful in her challenge at this lower court, there is no way that that is going to make people finally say, "Okay, well, I guess there was nothing done. They just will continue to believe that somebody got away with it. That's what's worrisome to me. We have a hard enough time in America getting people to vote. It's difficult to get adults to register and vote and to know enough about the process of our government and who's running to run, who's running to lead it. Um, It's hard enough. If they believe it's a rigged game, they're not going to participate. We're going to lose registered voters, not gain them. That concerns me. That's a big concern to me. But that doesn't mean if it's if it isn't reliable that we shouldn't call it out for being unreliable. There are reasonable things that can be done, and there are people at the Arizona State Legislature that are want to do reasonable things to shore up our voting. Most people, and I think if you maybe you didn't know this to be true, but most people think you should have to show an ID to vote, not a little electric bill with your name on it. I mean, you can't show up and cash a check and by saying, well, I live at this address. You have to prove who you are. How many things we do, we have to have ID in order to do it. This is interesting. To vote, they, there are many people that say it disenfranchises voters to not have to, if you require them to show an ID. Go to anywhere. You know, I do a lot of stuff where I pick tickets up at Will Call. Go to Will Call and say, I've got tickets it's in my name. What's your name? You give it to them. Can I see your ID? Eh, don't have it. But here's an electric bill with my name on it. You think they're going to give you your tickets? That's tickets to an event. 
So there are reasonable things we can do to improve people's perception of elections. We can't even discuss it because you're on one camp or the other. It was either stolen or the people that think it was is crazy. There is no middle ground and it's wrong. In a moment, um, staggering statistics about crime. Another bust. One million suspected fentanyl pills seized in Arizona. Details next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, we have an update. We are scheduled to talk with Senator Kirsten Sinema at 11.05. We are moving that forward 10 minutes to 11.15. We will speak with the senator then. She had a scheduling conflict but wanted to make sure she made time. So we are going to move it to 11.15, which means we will not be doing, did you hear this this morning? But you will hear hear this with uh, Senator Sinema. So that takes place at about 11.15. Um, headlines, headlines, headlines. We talked about this fentanyl bust, another big bust in Arizona. And this crime and punishment thing has been more and more on my mind lately. And uh, so just I, I love headlines. And then we get into the meat of things. Defunded Austin PD takes so long to respond to a DUI crash. The driver sobers up and walks away freely. It took two and a half hours for a family, for people to have police show up to a DUI crash. Two and a half hours in Austin. Um, Houston teen accused of paralyzing a woman in a robbery has his $200,000 bond cut in half. This is a kid that was already out on on a bond for illegally carrying a weapon. And then he paralyzes a woman and they cut his bond in half. And then this tragic story out of Denver, student uh, shot two faculty members at a Denver high school, and the, uh, they found his body in a search. He's 17 years old. The Denver Police Department said in a tweet about 6 p.m., the suspect's SUV was located in, in Park County. The Sheriff's Department later found a body in the woods near the vehicle, but did not say whether the body was identified as a suspect. It turns out it is. So uh, the the East High School where this happened had a safety plan with school staff and regularly searched uh, was regularly searched upon entering the building in a secluded area near the front of the school away from students. Uh, school staff did not recover a firearm during previous searches, but on Wednesday the student pulled out a handgun during the search, fired shots, and fled the building. So they had a safety plan in place, but it's you're, you're talking about crimes. This is a 17 year old kid, and then the other side of the spectrum, West Virginia has passed a campus carry law expanding gun rights in the state of West Virginia. And that leads me back to where we started. One million suspected fentanyl pills seized in Arizona. Um, it is it is difficult for me to look at these headlines and think that there would be any reduction in the access to firearms to uh, the public. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You would think the opposite. When the fire danger goes up, the precautions people are required to take also increases. 
You know, there there are times when you can no longer even have any kind of a fire at campsites. We know all of these things that are rules, and they make sense because of the danger. The danger in this country is increasing. We don't have a number the number of police officers we need to adequately patrol our neighborhoods in many cities. We then don't have the number of prosecutors in some cities to prosecute those crimes. And worse yet, we have district attorneys or county attorneys or prosecutors in general that are in charge of these offices that don't have the wherewithal to punish anyone. Uh, I've talked about crime and punishment and feeling violated as a, as a person that's been a victim of a crime. Here you've got this woman that was paralyzed in this um, robbery. And then to find out this guy had already been arrested, but they didn't keep him. He was arrested for illegally having a firearm. And when you see these things happen over and over and over again, people lose faith in the justice system. We are going to have the Wild West, and it won't be long. If you remember Bernard Getz, do you remember that name? Maybe some of you do. It was a guy that got convicted because he walked onto a New York subway with a gun hoping to get robbed and baiting people into robbing him so that he could shoot them. It was kind of like the uh, you know the Charles Bronson character and, and, and trying to get um, you know going out and seeking out being a vigilante. Nobody wants to be, I don't think at this point people want to be vigilantes, but I think it's going to happen. I think it's turning. I think people are figuring no one's going to help me. Which uh, I ask this question so often. What kind of place do you want to live in? What kind of city do you want to live in? What kind of state do you want to live in? We understand it's a reality of living in a border state right now. Not, Not much is being done at the southern border. That may be changing. It may not. But as of right now, not much is changing, which means there is a lot of that poison crossing our border and spreading out around the country, which means in many cases, people in Arizona are involved in the in the importation and distribution of fentanyl. What is local law enforcement going to do about it? Because they are short staffed. If you think about the enormity of what law enforcement has to do. Uh, number one, their job is patrol. If you dial 911 with a police emergency, a safety emergency, you have an expectation that an officer or officers are going to show up in a timely manner. You have that expectation, and that's exactly what their first job is. But you have detective bureaus and investigative bureaus and, that are proactive and, and tearing up these gang rings of drug dealers and all these other rip crews. And But how do they do it if we don't have enough people, if we don't have a, the wherewithal? And when you look at some of these cities, Austin, could you imagine? I, I want you to think about this. I will tell you that I, it's my personal opinion that DPS, the Department of Public Safety in Arizona, is dramatically understaffed. That's my belief. But imagine if you were involved in a DUI crash. And it took two and a half hours for a police officer to get there, a deputy or a trooper. But let's go trooper in this case. That's insane. That's 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 un-American to me. We live in a society where we don't take the law into our own hands. We don't uh, we don't exact street justice. We're told that all the time. Call the police. Let the police handle it. Got a problem with a neighbor. Music is too loud. You ask them to turn it down. They don't turn it down. Don't take the law into your own hands. Call the police. Well, you tell me in a day and age where it's not just Phoenix PD. You've got agencies across this valley are so short staffed. You mean to tell me that what you're going to do now is you're going to call the police And then wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and the music stays loud all night long. 
at some point, people are going to take the law into their own hands. You're going to try to rob me. You're going to break into my house, and I know who it is that broke into my house. You're going to call the cops, do an investigation, and wait for a conviction? No. You take the law into your own hands. And that's a direction we don't ever want to go, but that's the direction it seems to be heading. Um, what we're going to do in just a moment is uh, we're gonna, we had a conversation with Kristen Bentz about the economy. I'm going to reset that and let you hear a little bit of what she had to say, the good, bad, and the ugly of what's right around our corner. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We all have questions about the economy, and when we have them, we ask Kristen Bentz about the reaction, what's happening on the stock market, what's going to happen, because I think we're all concerned about the direction that our country is going. And the question now has to do with credit, and we are seeing the Fed with a mixture of good news, bad news. The bad news is they raised interest rates again yesterday. The good news is they said it may be coming to an end soon, and so they're believing we may see a plateau and a leveling of inflation. But the cost of that is going to be at at businesses. There are are, um, and sometimes it is survival of the fittest, and, and unfortunately, that's the way life is. Um, and I, I don't want to see anyone fail, but what you see here is companies that have cash on hand or have been longstanding companies fare better. But if you're someone that's got a startup or you, you haven't been around that long and you don't have a lot of cash on hand to fall back on, you use a line of credit. Um, to pay your bills, to pay things. If that credit starts to dry up, there are a lot of businesses that can't pay their employees. That's when you say layoffs. You can't expand. You can't grow. You can't buy equipment because you don't have the credit card to do it. And, you know, there are companies that, you know, do that well over the minimum payments. They buy a big piece of equipment. They do something on credit using either a line of credit or a, a literal credit card, and they take big chunks of it as they can. They just can't bite off everything at once. When that dries up, it hurts. Business, um, so I talked with her about rate hikes, and I said, "Are we near the end of this?" They're analysts that labor over every single word that Jerome Powell says, and they'll tweet out like certain words that are indicative of certain things happening in the future. So, yes, I think we're close to the end of this. Um, you know, you maybe see, you might see one more little tiny hike, but I think we're probably uh, coming up towards the end, as you say. And there are two things here in play. One is the consumer, just the average person you listening probably as a consumer, not maybe a business owner running a corporation. But consumers are reacting to this and they are pulling back on spending. Again, perception is reality. When people become afraid, even if it's not they shouldn't be afraid, they are afraid. It's a real fear and they react accordingly. And when people are concerned about the economy, about their financial future, about the future of their income, uh, they begin to react by saying we're going to hold off. We're not going to make big purchases. We're not going to buy something new. We're going to hold on to something longer. We're not going to spend money on this or that. We're not going to use our credit card for this. We're going to wait. And she said the economy, based on what we're seeing for, I think it was City she talks about, they're already seeing consumers do that. The wealth effect is used a lot um, in economics. And so what that means is if, you know, the consumer gets scared and is not feeling so wealthy, they're going to rein in their spending. So City already reported that the week of March 18th, when all the banking, crisis SVB stuff came out, uh, they could already tell in credit card data that the consumer already pulled back. So look how fast that happens. And this is what's so fascinating about following the consumer because
because it's so dynamic and Darwinian and things happen like in real time. So it scares both the markets and the consumer to answer you. So issues with credit are also affecting the economy in other ways with businesses. This whole SVB issue is going to make credit more difficult for consumers to get in every aspect, right? Not only retaining credit for credit cards, but also mortgages, home loans, car loans, etc. And what makes, you know, a, a country healthy is a healthy credit and lending system. You know, the Great Depression was really caused about, uh, you know, due to non-access of credit. If you don't have credit, people can't pay their employees, function a business. And so that's the situation in the two tiers that we see people. She talked about they're not really being a middle class that exists because um, there's the haves and the have-nots. And it's interesting. I joked about this. I still do. And I think we all have before. Um I've worked very hard to build my credit back up. You know, we, I had a really rough time, lost everything. I've been pretty vocal about it. And since then, I, I'm someone that now I actually enjoy paying my bills. As stupid as that sounds, I like being able to pay my bills. I pay my bills early sometimes. Uh, but I enjoy that function now because I know what it's like to not be able to. And to be able to pay my bills feels good to me. And so um, I actually like paying my bills now. But it's interesting that when you are in a position where your your finances are precarious, uh, it seems like you can't get help anywhere. And if you do get help, it's at an outrageously expensive and now when you get your credit to a place where your credit's in good shape again, it seems like they're throwing credit cards at you. I get emails all the time. You qualify for this and 0% financing for this. And and I thought, well, listen, the whole point is I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going down that road where I'm going to find myself in big credit card debt. But so thanks, but no thanks. But it's good to know that there's credit available if I needed it for something. We are – Seeing what's happening now, and my big concern has always been for working class, which is what I've always been my entire life, that how is someone out there with a great business idea and a good work ethic, how is that person going to go out there and fight the world and start their business if you don't have the money to make the money? And they say it takes money to make money. Well, where do you get it from? Well, you've got to have a line of credit. You have to have somebody that believes in you. You have to have a bank that sees your business plan and says, we believe this is a good risk to take. And is that going to whether a bank wants to or not or a lending institution wants to or not are there going to be changes made to the system where they're not allowed to in order to protect the economy um, you know the old income uh, stated income loans that was responsible in large part in the minds of some for the collapse of the real estate markets in, in 2000 home ownership the American dream but were there people that were given loans that should, had no business getting them legitimately when you could just say oh yeah I make $200,000 a year it's a stated income loan you told them I make that amount of money you didn't have to prove it and people were getting money is that also kind of dangerous what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court again. Senator Cinema is scheduled to join us at 1115. She was originally scheduled at 1105. She had to move it forward. So to accommodate her schedule, we're going to move some things around. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court and uh, the, the governor. That's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Stick around.